Down in the States, the legislative sessions are wrapping up for the year. How did term limits fare? And more importantly, how are we positioned for next year? Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the term limits movement for the week of June 3rd, 2019. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. U.S. Term Limits Executive Director Nick Tombolides has been taking score. Hey, Nick. Hello, El Presidente. <laughs> well, it's the end of the 2019 legislative sessions in the states, most of them, and certainly the ones that we were playing in. And we made some progress in some. Uh, didn't lose any ground anywhere. And uh, let's let's go over that and see how we did. Yeah. Well, I would say overall, it was a good year. There was a lot of forward momentum. Uh, We had passage in three legislative chambers, including Mm -hmm. Georgia, where it is a two-year session, meaning that passing in the state Senate carries over into 2020. We need to get the House next year. We got Mm -hmm. the Arizona House. We got the West Virginia House. Basically, Mm -hmm. what we're proving is that state legislators are willing to vote for term limits on Congress under the right condition. And right. that is that is no small deal. No, and it's the third year of progress. Uh, we started this project three years ago. We got Florida, we got uh, Missouri, we got Alabama, all of which called for a amendment writing convention under Article 5 of the Constitution limited to the subject of congressional term limits. And we made some more progress this year. Now, the Georgia, we only have one more house to take care of next year. Um, on the other two, though, we have to start over, don't we? Well, we have to go back in and we have to get another vote in the Arizona House and the West Virginia House, but that doesn't mean that we're starting all over because what's happened is since we've made this headway everywhere, we now know who our yes votes are. We know who our no votes are. It right. largely doesn't change on a year-to-year basis unless you have an election, and the elections in these states are not until November of next year, meaning you're, okay. going, into, you're going into the game with the same players as you had this year. We have pledges from dozens of these legislators and also candidates to put pressure on legislators. So we're expecting that the whip counts, the whip is um, your yes and no count in terms of a vote in Arizona and West Virginia are going to hold strong. If this is a football game, we're moving the ball down the field, we're completing passes, uh, the movement is incubating, and we're developing new activists every day uh, who really are going to be energized to come out and hold legislators' feet to the fire next year. Okay, excellent, good. All right, so those three are definitely going to be on our list of target states for next year. Um, Are there any others that we've decided on yet? I'm going to get ahead of the game here. Uh, Well, we're kind of in the research phase of that right now. There are a lot of states that look promising. Um, Tennessee is one where we saw there was some uh, action a couple years ago. Uh, They've had new leadership come in in the state house side, and we think Tennessee could possibly be viable next year. South Carolina... Um, Maine is a state where uh, last year we actually passed the Senate with a pure majority. The problem is Mm -hmm. you need a two-thirds majority to pass the Senate in Maine. Uh, So we need to work a little bit harder. You know, it's going to be an election year, meaning that candidates are going to be more willing to listen to what the people have to say. And um, it comes down to motivating your state legislators. That's it. Okay. One interesting state this year was Utah. Um, In Utah, there was a vote, a successful vote, for an Amendment 5 convention. It was on a broader range of subjects than just term limits, but it explicitly included congressional term limits as part of the call. So I know that you and I have gone over this many times, Nick, and with our team, and there's really two ways to look at this. We're trying to pass an application in these states 
that call for a Amendment 5 convention strictly limited to the subject of congressional term limits. But there's other organizations out there also looking to hold conventions on a broader range of subjects, and, and they include term limits. So we have three states that have called for the narrow term limits convention, and there's 11 additional states that have called for a broader convention explicitly including term limits, and Utah is the latest, 2019. Right. And it's not that the Utah legislators didn't like term limits. Obviously, they did. They just wanted the convention to also include possibly balancing the federal budget and uh, a few other things. But there are some legal opinions out there, uh, including one from Rob Nadelson, who is considered the foremost authority on Mm -hmm. Article 5 and the amendment process, which say that when states have passed calls for conventions that include term limits and a couple other subjects, That can actually be combined, potentially, with states that have strictly called for term limits to have a convention just on term limits. Right. Um, So so we know we have three states calling for a term limits convention. We may have 15. Yeah, exactly right. It's it's a very positive development in Utah. And uh, that doesn't mean we're going to stop asking the Utah legislature to call for the single-issue convention. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is definitely a strong step in the right direction. Hello, this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits. We ask candidates for state legislature to sign a pledge to help us get congressional term limits. The pledge reads, I pledge that as a member of the state legislature, I will co-sponsor and vote for the resolution applying for an Article 5 convention for the sole purpose of enacting term limits on Congress. There are only a few states having legislative elections in 2019. We have had seven candidates take the pledge this week, and we now have 16 candidates in Mississippi, 10 candidates in Louisiana, and seven candidates in Virginia who have signed this pledge to support congressional term limits as state legislators. If you have access to a candidate, please ask them to sign our pledge. Pledges are available at termlimits.com. Now, we had some other interesting action in the states as well. Um, In Missouri, for instance, there was a vote to put a statewide referendum on the ballot, Uh, and I don't know if they've chosen the date, but I believe it's going to be this November, uh, that will ask voters whether they want to add eight-year term limits to the rest of the statewide officers that do not already have them. And that would include lieutenant governor and auditor and attorney general and other positions. And that passed the Missouri legislature on a bipartisan basis. And it looks like voters are going to be able to make that choice. And I think it's pretty clear what they're going to choose. It's a big win. And if I were in Missouri, I would be super excited to have the opportunity to vote on that. I think what it also shows us is, well, you have to ask, well, why are a bunch of legislators voting for term limits on the state auditor? Why are they voting for it on the attorney general, lieutenant governor? Because they might want those positions one day. (laughs) And they might. True. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's pretty damn logical for these guys. They all want to get those jobs, but Mm -hmm. they won't be able to move up if the incumbents stay forever. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's exactly what we're dealing with in Congress. So it, it really is reaffirming to me because it shows that state legislators have an incentive to want term limits on higher offices. And, um, and I think that portends very well for our effort to do it in Congress. Yes, there's another dynamic at work in Missouri and other places. Missouri has been a pioneer on term limits in general. They have term limits on their state legislature. Last year, they passed the Article 5 convention bill strictly limiting to congressional term limits. And politicians in the state know that people in Missouri 
care about this and are attentive to this. And the issue has momentum carrying over from last year with the successful vote on the tournament's convention. And politicians put this on the ballot because this was a legislative referral, not an initiative. And uh, they put this on the ballot. And they understand that people want this and they are giving it to them. And so these efforts help each other. Yeah, it helps to look at the term limits as a holistic movement. It's not just one bill. It's not just one state. It's not just one level of government. It's this idea of people all over the country taking power back from career politicians and restoring this idea of a citizen-run government. And whether you're doing it for your city council or for Congress, it's going to spark a dialogue. It's going to get people talking about this. Um, so then I think the question becomes, what, what's going to make the difference between success and failure for the big prize? Congress comes down to motivating legislators, state legislators, not just your congressmen up in Washington, uh, but state legislators who represent you in the state capitol. They are the deciders with the power to make or break term limits. And um, we need to crank up the pressure on these folks. Yeah. We'll keep it up. What other state uh, moved on term limits in 2019? Well, Florida, Florida, oh, obviously, Florida, we, we worked really hard on the um, the school board term limits effort, and uh, it came up just short this session, but we were aiming for the 2020 ballot anyway, and we, we have sure. good reason to believe that we will succeed in the 2020 session to keep it on track for the 2020 ballot. Yes, and here's another state where the people have spoken on term limits so many times that the politicians are very aware in Tallahassee that this is something that is important to people. That's why we call it the term limit state, right? Uh, <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's Flor Florida has, I think, more term limits per capita than any other large state. Um, Colorado um, might beat them. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it's amazing that it's become uh, such a powerful issue here that you can't run for office in Florida without being pro term limits. I've heard stories of legislators who get to the state capitol, uh, new legislators, and they start talking about how, well, I don't I don't like term limits. You know, this is BS. I don't want to stick around. I want to stick around longer than eight years. And then someone with a little bit more experience tends to pull them aside and say, uh, I, I don't think you should be talking like that. You don't know these term limits, people. You don't right. know how crazy they are. And, and, if, and if you keep if you keep talking like that, they're going to make your life a living hell. And we do. And we wear it oh, as yeah. a badge of honor. They pout, they cry, they stomp their feet, but mostly they embarrass America. This is Politicians Behaving Like Children. I was going to answer that. Just please uh, go straight to and the answer. Mr. Chairman, I thought when you read the rules, you acknowledged that I shouldn't be interrupted. Back by popular demand. Another sandbox battle between California Representative Maxine Waters and Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin. This playdate gone wrong occurred in front of the Financial Services Committee in July 2017 before Waters became chair of that committee. Reclaiming my time, what he failed to tell you was when you're on my time, I can reclaim it. I, he left that out, so I'm reclaiming my time. Please, will you respond to the question? of why I did not get a response, me and my colleagues, to the May 23rd letter. Well, I was going to tell you my response. Just tell me. Okay. So, first of all, okay, let me just say that the Department of Treasury has cooperated extensively with the Senate Intel Committee, 
with the House Reclaiming Intel my time. Committee, Reclaiming with the my Senate Judiciary. Reclaiming my time. Okay. Reclaiming Matter of my fact, time. Mr. Secretary, the, time. the time belongs to the gentlelady from California. Per perhaps, Mr. Chairman, I don't understand the rules because Reclaiming I thought I was time. allowed to answer questions. Reclaiming my time, would you please explain the rules and do not take that away from my time? We will give the gentle lady adequate time. So what I read, Mr. Secretary, were statements of the ranking member and Democratic colleagues on how administration witnesses should be treated, not necessarily the way they will be treated. I would like to emphasize we believe we've been very Reclaiming responsive. Claiming my time. Thank you very so. much. You left a message yesterday or someone on staff left a message. No, we didn't leave a message. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Paul Jacob is a board member of U.S. Terminalists and president of the Liberty Initiative Fund. Today's installment of Common Sense is Knock Down the Incumbency. Over the weekend, I suffered through Knock Down the House, so you don't have to. While the documentary heralding four inexperienced Democratic women running for Congress in 2018 cost Netflix $10 million, I did not have to spend a dime beyond my regular monthly subscription. The award-winning film, directed by Rachel Lears, who wrote it along with her husband, Robin Blotnick, is expertly crafted. Unfortunately, it is geared to democratic socialists predisposed to adoring the subjects. The star is now Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who defeated then-rep Joe Crowley, a 10-term, 20-year incumbent, the number four Democrat in the House of Representatives. In addition to Ocasio-Cortez, the movie follows Amy Vallea, seeking to replace a retiring Nevada Democrat, Cori Bush, challenging the Clay family's hereditary congressional dynasty in Missouri's 1st District, and Paula Jean Swearingen, battling incumbent Joe Manchin in West Virginia's Democratic Party primary. Of the four challengers chronicled, all of whom received extensive support from two progressive groups, Justice Democrats and Brand New Congress, AOC was the only winner. Let's assume all the energy in this room can get you on the ballot and into office, offers a fellow at one of Ocasio-Cortez's early meetings. How, then, do we overcome the drop in power? AOC responds, I think we really need to have a look at what that power does now. When it matters, Representative Crowley doesn't stand up for us. When it matters, he doesn't advocate for our interests. Whatever one thinks of AOC's politics, her point here is not without merit. The idea that we citizens benefit from longtime incumbents who bring home the bacon is baloney. This is Common Sense. I'm Paul Jacob. For more Common Sense, go to thisiscommonsense.com. We've been talking about Democratic candidates running for president over the last several episodes, and we've been um, smoking them out regarding their position on term limits. You've heard from our own Ken Quinn, who's been active doing this. Um, this week, I want to talk a little bit about the Republican primary, and yes, apparently there will be one. Uh, we have a long-shot contender in the former governor of Massachusetts, two-term governor, William Weld. 
William Weld is someone we know very well. He was interviewed on Christiane Amanpour's program. And let's hear just a piece of that. A bunch of people in Washington and both parties really only care about one thing, which is demonizing the other party so they can scare their base into giving them so much money that they can get reelected. Uh, that's not my mindset. When I was in office, I was the national chairman of U.S. term limits. So I don't see the, the, the situation the same way officeholders in Washington do. And I think what we need in Washington is a good dose of what I did in, in my two terms as governor, reaching across the aisle uh, to the other party uh, and getting uh, solutions that work for all the people. William Weld's an interesting candidate because uh, he was actually a, a vice presidential candidate. Um, mm -hmm. in 2016 for the Libertarian Party. Prior to mm -hmm. that, he was a Republican governor of Massachusetts, and he has now jumped back into the Republican primary uh, to do this long-shot bid against Donald Trump. Phil, right. you have some experience with Weld. I know you've met with him in the oh, past. Sure. Um, what What do you make of all this? What do you think his role is in the context of, of like the broader movement here? Well, you know, he's always been seen as a maverick, and he's always called himself a libertarian, by the way. Um, you know, he was elected two terms uh, to the governorship of Massachusetts, which is a very democratic state, and he won it as a Republican. So a straight-line Republican is, wasn't really going to win that position, and he's not. Um, but one thing he has never wavered on is term limits. He was talking about term limits in the 90s, and he mentioned in this clip that he was the co-chair. He said chair, but he was the, basically co-chair of U.S. term limits. Uh, for some time while he was the governor of Massachusetts. And this was the time when tournaments were sweeping the nation and these successful initiatives were um, imposing tournaments on state legislatures and even on federal legislators until that fateful Supreme Court decision knocked him out. So here's somebody, here's a man that was part of the movement since the 90s, has been active with our organization, U.S. Tournaments. And I don't really want to get into the political aspects of him versus Trump. I don't think that's important for our purposes here. We didn't need to smoke him out. We know what his position of on tournaments is and always has been. Yeah, it's obviously really tough to challenge an incumbent. Uh, that's why we do what we do here. Mm -hmm. uh, this We wouldn't exist if, if it was easy to run against an incumbent. Um, but sometimes, even if someone can't win a primary, they can force a discussion about a particular issue. Um, one example that I remember is when Ron Paul ran for president repeatedly, he never quite got to the level of a top tier candidate, but by talking about certain issues, he managed to get other candidates to adopt some of those issues. One example mm -hmm. would be his stuff about the Federal Reserve. He banged that drum for such a long time, and now every Republican is talking about it. My hope with Weld would be he can kind of be the Pied Piper for term limits within the mm -hmm. primary. The president hasn't talked about it a lot, you know, maybe not because he doesn't want to, but because he's so damn busy and he's got a million other things to worry about. But if Weld starts asking about term limits, gets people in New Hampshire talking about it, puts it on Trump's radar, then I don't mm -hmm. see how that could be anything other than a very positive development. I quite agree. And although they'll be arguing about lots of different things, they won't be arguing about this issue. Exactly right. I don't care who Good. says it. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message in this case. And we know we have the strongest message in, in the country right now. That's right. Now, for keeping track of all of the presidential candidates, and there are an enormous number of them, um, you might want to go to turnlimits.com where Nick has uh, created an, I guess it's a spreadsheet. Well, it's actually more of an article, but he lists all of the different candidates for president and their positions, the best that we know them on the issue of term limits. It's getting to be a long list and it's getting to be rather detailed. And we'll keep updating it as we get more information. 
Yeah, the cool thing about this list that I've compiled, you can find it uh, right at the top of termlimits.com, we are going to pin it there, is uh, we give you a little synopsis of where all the candidates stand on this. But then we also have uh, some primary source material. So, for example, Ken Quinn, we've highlighted his work on the show before, has gone out to these events in New Hampshire and talked to candidates. Well, fortunately, we have most of that on video. And if you go to the, the article, you can get links to those videos. So you can watch it firsthand and uh, you can make your own judgment about whether these candidates are serious on term limits or not and which one articulates it the best. Uh, so I definitely encourage people to go check out that article. Thank you for listening to No Uncertain Terms again this week. And a special thanks to those who answered our call for listener comments at podcast at termlimits.com. Our most thorough critique this week came from John Doe, who asked not to be identified. John Doe does not require goofiness with his tournaments, news, and commentary, does not believe we should claim to be nonpartisan, and hates reverb. You can be sure that after we're done collecting listener comments and giving out a valuable prize to one of them randomly, we are going to get the team together and discuss every comment we're offered. Thanks, John Doe. Not all our listeners agree on everything. Rosa King thinks we talk too much about Democrats, but loves the fun segments, including the Bernie Sanders imitations. And thanks again to James Copestake of Gainesville, Florida. I clumsily misidentified him last week, but we went back and fixed the error. Sorry, James. That's it. Please send us your comments at podcast at termlimits.com. Be sure to tell us if you're a subscriber or if you listen to us at termlimits.com or use some other platform. You are part of this revolution, and your weekly tournaments update should reflect this. We'll be back next week.